I'm, I'm so glad that you're here today uh, because we're continuing a series we started last week uh, called Live on Mission. Now, I'm going to date myself, uh, but some of you will get this. How many of you remember uh, the movie The Blues Brothers? Wow. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, okay. Everybody my age and up must come to this service because uh, <laughs> some of you would have no idea. And actually, we have 35 or 40 of our 20s off at a lake retreat today, so that's all the group and down that would have no idea what we're talking about. So The Blues Brothers was this crazy movie about these two guys who dressed kind of like the men in black, all black suit, black tie, black hat, black glasses. And I don't know if you remember this or ever heard this. They were singers and musicians, and they'd go and play, and they were rowdy and did all kind of crazy stuff. But one, somebody asked them one time what they were doing, and they said, you remember this? We're on a mission, remember, from God. Now, if you know anything about the movie, you would sincerely doubt that. But, but, but it was their byline. And it's become popular in our society today for companies to have a mission statement. Um, so how many of you work for a company that has a mission statement? How many, how many of your company? Yeah, okay, a, a lot, lot of you. So it's popular. Sometimes families have a mission statement. Sometimes individuals have a mission statement. And if you had to say in one sentence what your mission statement was, the purpose and focus of your life, what would it be? So I thought this morning to kind of kickstart us, I, I went and pulled some of the um, big companies that you may recognize their mission statement. So here's, here's Coca-Cola's mission statement. To refresh the world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? To inspire moments of optimism and happiness. To create value and make a difference. That's kind of that fuzzy, warm fuzzy. Google. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're close. Like, I don't know if they've quite done it, but man, they're close. All right, here, here's one that some of you enthusiasts get. Harley Davidson. We fulfill dreams through the experience of motorcycling. How many motorcyclists we got in here? Yeah? Nobody? Yeah, oh, a few? Okay. So if you ride in a Harley Davidson, your dreams are fulfilled. You just didn't know it. Chick-fil-A, to be America's best quick service restaurant, to glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us, to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. How many of you like Chick-fil-A? Yeah, I love Chick-fil-A. That's a, that's a good mission statement, isn't it? That's kind of refreshing to hear. You know, we think that business out there is all, all about uh, the bottom line and money and all that, but that, that's good to hear. Okay, here's another one, last one. Interstate Batteries. Maybe you've never, don't know anything about this company. To glorify God, isn't that interesting? Interstate Batteries. To glorify God and enrich lives as we deliver the most trustworthy source of power to the world. Pretty cool. That's encouraging. It's always encouraging when you go out into the marketplace and find that people have found beneath all the going on the same kingdom that we find in a different way. So it's, it's encouraging to see that. A lot of times when people are writing a mission statement, you know, if you've ever gone through this process, somebody will tell you, well, uh, to, to write a good mission statement, think about what makes you happy. 
Or think about what you're good at. Or think about what's important to you. And all of those are good things to think about. And all of those are good things to start with when writing a mission statement. If you're not a follower of Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, the place to start when writing your mission statement is with his mission statement. Because your mission is wrapped up in his mission. So let me just kind of say it like this if you want to write this down. I can't say I follow Jesus unless his life mission is my life mission. Unless I'm going where he's going, I'm not following. I'm just talking. We live in a, a culture that just beats us to death with consumerism. So if you're not careful, even as a follower of Jesus, we get in this mentality of what's in it for me or what have you done for me lately or how much can we earn or how much can we attain, how much comfort can we have, how many options can we have. And if we're not careful, even as Christians, we, this can absorb, this idea absorbs into our skin, into our mind, into our emotions and thought because we live in it every day. It's in the water, it's in the air, we drink it, we breathe it. It's consumerism. But John 17, 18 in the message, which is the key verse for this series, says, in the same way, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, his followers, which we would be categorized as, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. In the same way that you sent me, I'm sending them in exactly the same way. So the question is, how was Jesus sent and what was Jesus' mission? Well, there's a few answers to that through Scripture. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. The Bible tells us that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Bible also describes that Jesus came to die for our sins. That was Jesus' mission. So how do we... How do we process that in the context of our own life? Jesus died on a cross in Jerusalem. If we're called to follow him, is that what we're supposed to do? Are we supposed to go to Jerusalem and be convicted of crimes we didn't commit and somehow be hung up on a cross? Is that what that means? No, it doesn't mean that. So what does it mean then that we follow Jesus, that we do his life mission if his life mission was to die on a cross. Well, it means that we're called to sacrifice for the gospel. I think it's a great thing to talk about when we have missionaries here who are giving so much. We're called to sacrifice for the gospel. We're called to shine our light in a dark world. We're called to represent Jesus in the world. Now, last week in this series, Live on Mission, we talked about mission drift. And so today, I heard this phrase a couple of months ago that's just stuck with me that I want to give you today that sums up everything I'm going to say to you today. Two simple words. Everyday missionaries. Everyday missionaries. What would it look like if you and I were everyday missionaries? Now, maybe that's where we've kind of got off track by calling people like the Hollingsworth who go to India and other countries missionaries and calling the rest of us just Christians. Maybe that was a mistake to do that, to have that terminology. Because the truth is, we may have different ways of making a living, but we're all called to the same mission, right? Being an everyday missionary, listen to this, isn't about your vocation. It's not about your location. 
It's about your motivation. I want to say that again. Being an everyday missionary isn't about your vocation. It's not about your location. It's about your motivation. What is it that is in your heart? Being a missionary is not about where you live. You're not a missionary just because you live in another culture. You're a missionary because it's what God has put inside the heart of everyone who says that they follow him. So what would it look like for you and I to be an everyday missionary? I want to look at a story this morning of two fishermen. Two fishermen. Just common, everyday, blue-collar guys. Two fishermen who were just everyday missionaries that followed Jesus. Now, you might read this story and go, wait, 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 wait. Those guys were apostles. They didn't know it then. They were just, miss- they were just uh, fishermen who were following Jesus. That's all they knew. They didn't know the impact they would make, probably never knew it when they died. But we look back and see, wonder if that's still true for us. Acts chapter 3, verse 1, on uh, one day, Peter and John, the two fishermen, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. They're on their way to a prayer meeting. Now a man who was lame from birth, this guy was born crippled, and he'd been crippled his whole life, was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day, 24-7, seven days a week, this guy's crippled guy is put at the gate of the temple so he can beg for whatever he can get so he can live. Verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So to summarize, we got two, two fishermen on their way to a prayer meeting. This isn't a missions trip. This isn't an outreach. This isn't some slick event designed to attract people. This would be like you and I stopping at Jack's for a chicken biscuit on the way to church this morning. Are you following me? This is an everyday normal occurrence. No big deal. This guy's been lame from birth. He's been at the gate. He's been that way a long time. He was carried to the gate every day. So I want to point out three things this morning that we see in these two fishermen's life that show us how you and I can be an everyday missionary. Number one, first we got to see. These two fishermen were willing to see the need. I didn't say look. There's a way you can look without really seeing anything. We pass thousands of people every day looking straight at their phone, and I'm not convinced they actually see anything. But they're looking hard. But I'm not convinced they see. You following me? This man was lame from birth and was carried to the gate every day. The crowds must have passed by him in and out of the temple gate day in and day out and day in and day out. And I wonder how many people looked at him but never saw him. I wonder how many days Peter and John looked at him and never saw him. Because they had to have seen him before. He'd been there every day. And how many times do you think this scenario played itself out? Man born crippled, begging at the gate, passed by crowds every day. There's nothing special about this. But one of the reasons it's hard to see the mission of God is because it looks like everyday life. It looks like every other day. It looks like the person who works in the office next to yours or the friend that you've known all your life. Can I just say it this way? It looks like the familiar. So we don't see it because we see it all the time. We look at it all the time. 
It looks like a family member or a neighbor you've become comfortable with. It sometimes looks like a person that you meet randomly in public. Just plain old ordinary everyday stuff. But God is working underneath that ordinary stuff in a supernatural way. It reminds me when we were living in Mississippi and Hurricane Katrina uh, landed on our little town. And the entire Mississippi Gulf Coast, Louisiana Gulf Coast, uh, Alabama Coast, 34-foot storm surge wave hit our town, and it destroyed everything in its path as far as the water went. And then the wind damage tore off 75% of the rooftops in our community. And as far as you could see, there was death 1,800 and something people died. There was death, destruction, smell, mud. Everything was crumpled. I drove by people's houses who were in our church, and there was nothing left but a concrete slab. It had been wiped clean. Everything, we couldn't even find anything. Couldn't find some of their cars. They were drug out into the Gulf of Mexico. And it was an unbelievable time, though, of ministry. We had a mass distribution center in our church parking lot seven days a week, every day. People were coming in to get diapers and formula and food and water and ice and uh, shoes, anything you can think of. Uh, Over 100 tractor-trailer loads of stuff we unloaded in our church parking lot and gave out to the community. And every day as you're out there, people driving through, and they would stop and roll the window down. You have no idea how many times, I can't even count, I don't even remember how many times we got to pray with people who came through the line. People in Mercedes, people, people in old cars. It, 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 Katrina had no prejudice. It just struck everybody. And we had opportunities to minister with people. We were on mission, and it was an unbelievable experience in many ways. But... It was easy to see because destruction was everywhere. You and I have been invited into a world that has been destroyed by a flood of lies that the enemy has washed over people's hearts and minds and it is nasty and muddy and destroyed and in some places there's hardly even anything left but you can't see it the way we could see it after Katrina unless you slow down and see. Verse 4, Peter looked straight at him as John. Then Peter said, look at us. There's, There's some seeing beginning to happen here. They didn't just look at him. They saw him and they were willing to see the need. When we look at the people around us and they're lost, but we say, hey, they live in Shelby County. They got a three car garage. They're okay. They're good. They're good. They're okay. They're not lame. Their house isn't destroyed. Nothing's dirty, but their marriage has been devastated. Their kids are a mess. They're up to debt in their eye, to their eyelids. They just can't seem to get past what was done to them. And there is a child, they're addicted to drugs and pain medicine and other substances and pornography. Oh, we can't see it, but it's there. It's the same devastation. A few months ago, my wife and I were eating dinner out one night. Our boys were gone. And uh, we were on the way to the car, and a guy followed me out of the restaurant. And I was about to get in the car, and he, he said, hey, I need to talk to you for a minute. I said, okay. I never I didn't recognize him. Just had no idea. I said, I, can't, I need to talk to you. He said, um, I, need, I need to apologize to you. I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. Have we met? He goes, no, no, we've never met. But uh, I need to apologize to you because... Um, so my wife has a disease that makes her 
um, walk in a clumsy way. She's not very stable. And so he said, when you guys were walking in, I thought your wife was drunk. And so I was making fun of her. And uh, me and my buddy here were making fun of her. And uh, as y'all came in and sat down, I realized something was wrong. And I didn't know. And I just want to apologize to you. And, and I said, well, hey, first off, I don't want you to go to home tonight and go to bed and be thinking about this. I forgive you. And I got my wife out of the car, and we went over and talked for a little while, and she said, I forgive you. You're forgiven, man. <laughs> We've been forgiven. All kind of stuff. And so we forgive you, and uh, don't, don't carry this. Don't walk around in guilt. Don't walk around in condemnation. That's not what God wants. So we forgive you. And so let's talk. Tell us about yourself. He said, well, I'm a retired police officer from Detroit. And I moved down here to get away from all the you know, craziness. And so we stood out there on the sidewalk for a little while, and then their friends came out. We met the two couples, and we talked for a while. And, and I said, wait a minute. In my heart, I said, uh, I think there's something going on here. I don't think this is an accident. And so I said, hey, it was about a week or so from Easter. And I said, hey, um, man, I'd love for you. Do you guys go to church anywhere? He kind of said, no. Man, I could tell church was a bad deal for him somehow. I don't know how, but I could tell. I said, man, um, Easter's close by. Man, I'd love for you to come to church with us on Easter Sunday. And he said, are you a pastor? (laughs) And what I should have said is, no, I'm just an everyday missionary. But I said, yeah, how'd you know? He goes, man, I'm a police officer. I know how to read people. (laughs) I said, I didn't know I was putting that vibe out there. I said, he goes, man, I can't come. If I came, the roof's going to fall in. And I said, you'd be surprised the number of people came, and our roof's holding pretty good. We got all kind of crazy people at our church. <laughs> you don't see a church like this. And uh, I said, "Man, look, we got this big like picture wall in the foyer." And I tell you what, man, if you if you'll just come, I'd love for my wife and I to have a picture with you on Easter, and maybe just be something we could remember, a story you could tell your friends. Would you just would you guys come? Man, I don't know. And you know, as far as I know, like if he came, I don't know it. I never saw him. And as far as I know, he didn't come. And so I want to tell you that story uh, for a couple of reasons. Because if all the stories that we tell end good or like we think they should, then it's very discouraging for those of you who try to reach out and, and it looks like nothing happens. And so, you know, I remember growing up, I used to always hear them stories about the evangelist on the airplane and everybody on the airplane got saved. You know what I mean? It's going to crash or something. And, and I thought, man, I've been on an airplane, nothing like that ever happened. Like, I, I, I tried to witness the guy on an airplane one time who was an atheist or something, and he beat me to death. Like, I thought I was going to die before I got out of there. He brought up all kind of archaeological stuff. I didn't know what he's talking about. So, look, I, 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 I just want to tell you, and I want to encourage you, for those of you who are reaching out and those of you who haven't reached out yet, that it's okay to reach out. And it's okay for it not to go well. 
Everybody you talk to is not going to have a powerful moment with God. And everybody you talk to isn't going to accept Jesus on the spot. And everybody you invite to church isn't going to show up. But it's not your job and it's not my job to save anybody. And it's not my job to change anybody. It's not my job to make a divine appointment happen. It's just my job to see it when they do. To step into it. Being an everyday missionary means seeing the need and seeing the opportunity and just standing there in it. We plant seeds, we water seeds, and sometimes we never see what happens. But can I tell you something? Sometimes incredible things happen. I have sat and probably personally heard somewhere close to 200 people's testimony in this church. And can I tell you, there are some absolutely incredible stories of life change sitting in this church. And can I tell you how some of them happen? They tell a story about some kind of divine moment where something happened. And as I think back on the story, I go, you know what? That guy, that lady, they never even knew you got saved, did they? But when they tell their salvation story, that person was in it. See, you don't get to control the results, and I don't get to control the results. But don't do nothing because you can't make everything happen. You and I can't make everything happen. It's hard to see unless you slow down and look below the surface uh, because the people around us' hearts are empty. So to live on mission, we have to see, verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. So the first thing we got to do to be an everyday missionary is we got to see. Here's the second thing we got to do. We got to give. Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. Peter and John didn't have any money, but what they had they gave. Missionary David Davidson said this, if we found a cure for cancer, wouldn't it be inconceivable to hide it from the rest of mankind? How much more inconceivable to keep silent the cure from the eternal wages of death? Look, everybody in this room on some level has been impacted by cancer. I, my grandfather died early of cancer. My uncle died early of cancer. I, I, I hate cancer. When I, when I was 19, I worked in a hospital with 19 floors, and every floor was a different treatment center. It was designated for a different illness. The floor I hated out of those 19 the most, and I went to every floor, 32 miles of hallway in that hospital, I went to every mile because that was the job I had, and the place I hated to go the most was the cancer floor. I hated it. I hate it. I hate cancer. I wish I could just nuke it. I wish I could just blow it up and destroy it somehow. Cancer, cancer is, a, um, is a sickness that destroys, but cancer can only kill the body. Sin has an eternal impact, and you and I have a cure for the separation from God, and it's found in Jesus. Why would we ever hide that? Because our society keeps bullying us around and telling us separation in church and state, separation of church and state. Our culture tells us faith is a private thing, faith is a personal thing. But Jesus said, let your light shine. A city on a hill is not hidden. A light isn't put under a basket so nobody can see it. Darkness takes every opportunity to tell us to hide our faith. But we have the cure for separation from God. And we shouldn't hide it. Now, if we're going to live on mission, we have to be willing to give people what we have. 
We may not be big shot theologians. We might not write these long doctrinal statements. We might not be, you know, these popular preachers that you see on the internet or somewhere else. We might not have it all figured out yet, but here's one thing that we do have. I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead and now I'm alive. My life has been changed. You should have met me before I met Jesus. We have our story. Now, here's, here's a thought I want you to focus in on this morning. In order to give what you have, you have to have what you give. In order to give what you have, you have to have what you give. Peter and John said, I don't have money or, or uh, silver or gold, but what I have, they had what they gave. Sometimes it's hard to be an everyday missionary because we don't have much to give. Because we're living this contemporary cultural Christianity that has no power or life or voice or faith or strength or power. But in order to give it away, you got to have it. you got to have that relationship that ties you in. To be an everyday missionary, you have to see and you have to give. And uh, verse 6 and 7 kind of lands the story. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Look what he says. He's talking to a guy who's only been crippled his entire life. He's never walked his entire life, not one time. He's been carried for who knows how many years to sit at the temple gate because he can't, he can't get a job so he can beg and, and he eats whatever people have to give him. That's all he's got. So he's lived a very difficult life. And along comes Peter and John and what, is, what does Peter say to him? Walk. I don't have anything to, I, I don't have any food, I don't have any silver or gold, I, don't, I can't pay you anything, but here's what I have. And before that crippled man had ever stood to his feet and had ever walked and had ever been healed, the apostle Peter said, walk. Now, now, now watch. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I, I, I found out something. There's always a group of people who will come and say walk after the miracle happens. Figure that out? We're not short on cheerleaders. But the people who will step into the moment and have faith and believe that God is the answer and minister in the moment when things can't look worse. That's a whole different thing. So, there's so many things I don't understand about this passage. If I'm just being honest with you. Did the Holy Spirit tell the Apostle Peter to say this? This fisherman to say this? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Is this something that we should be able to do to every sick person we meet? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, if we are, after lunch, let's go over to Shelby Hospital and empty it. But apparently, that's not the case either. So I don't, I got questions about this passage that I don't have any answers for. Maybe you do too. I don't know the answer to those questions. Here's one thing that I do know for sure, though. It's very clear. 
Peter believed in what he was giving. He believed it. Peter told him to walk before he ever did. Peter took him by the hand and helped him up before he walked. I don't have silver or gold, but I believe with my whole heart in what I'm giving you. In order to be an everyday missionary, we have to see and we have to give. And third, we have to believe. So here's the question. Do you believe in the Jesus that's in your heart? I don't care about all the atheistic debates and the intellectualism and the politics and the culture and the entertainment and what's in and what's out and what's up and what's down and what people say and how we have smarter people. I don't care about any of that. I got one question for you this morning. The gospel that's worked for 2,000 years in every culture on earth, the Jesus who came out of that grave on the third day, do you believe he's the answer? Because I can just tell you this. It's easy to sit here this morning in this environment and say, oh, yes, I believe. But you face somebody who's broken down, crippled, lame, who's never walked, whose marriage is on the rocks, who has a conundrum like you never thought you'd ever hear. You get stuck in an airplane seat beside the guy that I did, and you go, ooh, this looks different here. Right? When you start to listen to people, and what they've been through, and what's going on, and how they got to where they are. Your heart starts to hurt. And you say, man, I, when we were all clapping, the answers were easier. They were clearer. But here's the thing, it really comes down to this. You don't have to have all the answers. Thank God, because I don't have them, I can tell you that. I maybe can send you to some churches where they think they got them all. I don't have them all. But what you do need is to believe. You do need faith. Do you believe that Jesus is the answer to the needs around you? Because if you don't believe, you're not going to cut it as an everyday missionary. I can tell you this from, from the missionaries that I've known personally. As you're being sent from America by a church that loves you and supports you, it looks good. But you get over into India, and right? And there's days, right? There's days that you go 365 million people, and I, like we're the only ones that believe in Jesus. Come on, God. Help me. What do I do now? So when I say, do you believe, I'm not asking if your faith is perfect. Well, nobody's faith is perfect. What I'm saying is, is, do you have some faith? Because the only way you're going to be an everyday missionary is to have some faith and to be honest about the places that you struggle. If you and I want to see a move of God in our generation, it's going to happen one life at a time. It's going to happen one believer at a time who lives on mission. So this morning, there are two kind of people in the room this morning. People who believe that Jesus is the answer and people who aren't sure. And I, and I want to say this to you. It's okay to not be sure. It's okay. It's okay to not know everything. And it's okay to struggle. And church is a place, this church is a place you can come and say, you know, I believe, I think, most of the time, mostly, sort of, I'm trying 
what do I do now? What do I do when this happens? It's okay to admit everything's not okay. So this morning, if you'd stand with me, and I just want to ask every eye closed in the room and our prayer team to come. And if you just kind of stand somewhere that you can be, you can be comfortable for a minute, just close your eyes and open your heart. Today, if you need help believing that Jesus is the answer, man, we want to pray for you. If today you believe that Jesus is the answer, but you're waiting on proof, first with every eye closed, let me just ask this. How many of you believe Jesus is the answer? Just lift your hand. You believe Jesus is the answer. Yeah. How many of you, with nobody looking around, would just be honest enough to say, I do believe Jesus is the answer, but if I'm honest, I'm struggling with that a little bit in this situation. How many of you would just be honest enough to say, yeah, that's me. Man, I've been there. I know what that feels like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just lift your hand. Yeah, man, I'm struggling a little bit today. You know, I'm just struggling. I believe he's the answer. I want to believe. I'm trying to believe. But if I'm honest with you, I'm waiting for proof. I'm waiting for a breakthrough. I'm waiting for something to happen. Maybe you're here this morning and you believe Jesus is the answer, but you've been waiting for a long time for someone you care about to become a Christian, and it just doesn't seem to be happening. I, my dad, all my life, has never been a Christian. He's still not. I've been waiting all these years since I was 15 years old. I've been praying and waiting and sharing. I know what that feels like. How many of you just say, I've been waiting, I've been waiting on somebody. I've been praying for them and Man, I believe Jesus is the answer, but I, I need to believe it again today. Would you just lift your hand and say, that's me? Yeah, that's me today. Man, I'm just waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. Yeah, 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 I know. Here's what I want to do. I want, I want to just say a quick prayer. But if you lifted your hand, if you have a need today, and you say, I want Jesus to help me believe him. I want Jesus to help my faith. I want Jesus to help my family member or my friend who I've been reaching out to. I want to come and stand in for them today and to believe God that this week God's going to do something, that something's going to begin to change. The door's going to open. He's maybe even send somebody totally new to share with them. I don't know, but I just want to stand in for them this morning. And I want to ask you as I begin to pray, you lifted your hand for your reason. I want to ask you to come right now and let our prayer team just agree with you. You know, you know, when you agree with someone in prayer, it strengthens your faith. It encourages your faith. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now from the balcony and the floor, and I'm just going to begin to pray. Lord, I thank you today that you have come to fill our faith, to fill our heart, to fill our minds, to strengthen us because you have called us, and you would not call us to a, to a focus. You would not call us to a purpose that you would not give us the power to do. And so, Lord, this morning, I thank you that you've given us this purpose, you've given us this mission, and you've given us the power to do it. And you, you are faithful to encourage us and strengthen us as we take this journey. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would refresh faith. I pray that you'd renew faith. I pray that you would lift faith up and strengthen our faith, strengthen our hearts, and make us strong for the mission you've called us to. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name. As the worship team begins.